Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have your marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the business creators who like to help others grow their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers out there who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you're one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to subscribe on networks such as iTunes. Every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you, and be sure to subscribe. Fresh content will be added every single week, and you will have immediate access to our entire library of well over 200 guest experts on a broad variety of topics that will serve you as a business creator. Going back over four years, we have been on the air, believe it or not, over four years. This is one of the things that is very exciting to us. And we have found that just having the Business Creators Radio Show has been by far the most exciting thing we've ever done. And so today, we are going to continue that trend. Those of you who have been following me for a very long time know that before we had the Business Creators Institute, we had an organization called Help My Website Sell. Some of you who have interacted with us by email know that we still use that as the email alias just because we're so busy, we just haven't changed over. So... What we specialized there was website conversion optimization and facilitating what we called the website conversion conversation. Some people call it the process of know, like, and trust. We put a different label on it, calling it the website conversion conversation as a means of standing out in the market. That's a brief and free nugget for you. If you're doing something that it seems like a lot of other people are doing, just put a slightly different label on it so you really stand out. Another thing that we still say to this day, is that the last thing that you could ever need or want in your business is traffic to your website. And then I do a pause and people say, what the heck is Adam talking about? Well, so many people out there talk about traffic to your website, traffic to your website, traffic to your website. So if we would have been talking about traffic to your website, we might have been just another company. So we looked at renaming it. We looked at the three P's of website conversions. You have uh, your prospects who are pre-qualified, which means you're reaching the right people through the right medium with the right message. They're prepped, which means when they click that link in that email or that social status or what have you, they know what's coming and they're pumped, which means hopefully your website is loading very, very quickly so that they can quickly get to your webpage and clearly see the exact action you want them to take. You can tell I still have a passion for the website conversion side of it because if you're not converting stuff on your website. Now, instead of calling it traffic to your website, we would say you want visitors to your web pages. Stay with us and we'll maybe today, maybe at a different time, delve into that a little more detail depending on how much time we have for those who haven't heard it before. But what I want to do is I want to get our guests on. And when we had the opportunity to interview this gentleman, we were very excited. We've checked out his stuff. We've been following for a minute here, and I know he's got a great free gift for you at the very end, which is going to be very exciting. And what he's going to share with us today is something that merges two of my personal passions, um, how to convert visitors, visitors to your webpage, 
Traffic to your website if you want to call it that. And Website Psychology. The official title is Website Psychology and How to Convert Visitors. And for that topic, we have Chris Daly of Disruptive Advertising. Chris is passionate about helping businesses learn what their users want on their website through psychology-based testing and analytics. He started his conversion optimization agency, Daily Conversion, in 2014, right around the time that we moved away from Help My Website Sell. So uh, in a way, it was sort of like a changing of the guard. We didn't know it at the time. Now, he's later merged Daily Conversion with Disruptive Advertising, where he currently works as the VP of Site Testing and Optimization. Chris, welcome aboard. Weather's fine. Come on in. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show today, Adam. It's a pleasure. You bet. Now, before we dive in, uh, there may be some people who are listening on their computers right now, so they have a separate tab open. They're looking up Chris Daly, Disruptive Advertising. Who the heck is this guy? So let's make it easy for him. Chris, if you could just tell us a little bit more about your personal or professional journey and what's brought you to the point where you are right now, serving business creators from the point of your brilliance and passion. Well, it's it's kind of a funny story. So I, I tell people a lot. My mother um, often would tell other people when she's describing her children, she would describe me as probably one of the least likely to to succeed in life. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she, of course, would never say that. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't a really ambitious kid growing up. Um, but I discovered, I discovered internet marketing, um, you know, around 2007, 2008. Uh, I actually had, a, had applied for a sales job. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career. I just wanted to make some money. So I applied for a sales job at a company that was selling search engine optimization. So I got this job. I discovered search engine optimization. I was fascinated by this idea that you could influence the Google search results. That was just very interesting to me. You know, I use Google every day. Um, so I applied for an internal job. I got it. Long story short, I ended up spending a few years doing search engine optimization, which for those who aren't familiar is getting your website to rank in the Google search results. Right. So I spent a few years doing this for a variety of different companies. I ended up in-house for a business. We were crushing it in the search engine optimization realm. We had tripled, tripled our organic traffic to our site in like six months. And you hit the nail on the head when you said, traffic sometimes is the last thing that you want. We tripled our organic traffic. And when we started to look at the numbers, we realized, crap, we're actually not converting. We're, we're not, we didn't triple our revenue. So what happened here? There's some kind of disconnect. We're either getting crappy traffic to our site or our site sucks. Now, of course, our designers didn't want to say that our site sucks. Our developers didn't think that anything was wrong with the site. And so, you know, of course, the, the buck falls on me. My, my traffic must suck. And I just didn't want to accept that. I did not want to accept that this was crappy traffic. So I discovered conversion rate optimization. That's, that was kind of my introduction by necessity to figure out how are we going to get this, all this traffic that I know is good, how are we going to get these guys to convert? So I ran my first test, um, my first A-B test. I changed a couple things on one of our landing pages just to see, you know what, maybe if, maybe if I tweak a couple things, I can get more people to convert. Conversion rates went up miraculously. I had no idea what I was doing at the time, um, but we uh, conversion rates went up. And that is when I fell in love with the psychology aspect of website testing because as it happens, the, the, 
the version, the B version of our landing page that I created, it didn't actually look any better. In fact, when our designer saw the version of the page that I had created, he forbid me to run it. He said, this looks terrible. You can't put this <laughs> up on our site, even if it works better. And lo and behold, it worked better. It increased conversion rates. Everyone said, oh, this is great. Let's put it up on the site. And so I think he still has a sore spot in his heart this day about that. But, um, but that, that was just very fascinating to me to go, why did this version of this page convert better? What was it that that led people to, you know, that created more interest for people or, you know, what, what was it that led people to convert better? And, and that's where, you know, like I said, I fell in love with the, with the psychology aspect. So everything else was kind of history from there. I spent a few years in the website testing and optimization space, running AB tests for a variety of different companies. I ran several hundred tests and then ended up um, in 2014, starting my own agency to, provide these services for, for companies that either didn't know how to do it themselves or didn't have the resources. That was one of my biggest struggles when I was doing it in-house was getting the resources to keep a good testing strategy moving forward. So I set out to create a, a solution to that problem, uh, mostly for myself. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's been a fun journey since then. You know, what's really funny is, uh, and I discovered this through my work with website conversion consulting is that, uh, sometimes what we think is the thing that's going to work turns out to be not the thing that's going to work. Uh, even before that, back in the first decade of the 21st century, when I owned a web development firm, I mean, I've been through three or four different businesses here very happily. Uh, we had this uh, one client, and they're, they're still very prominent in their space today. They've done nothing to grow over the past 10, 15 years that I've known these guys. Um, they are in the uh, in the niche of training and teaching high school athletic coaches how to get more out of their of the people on their teams. And uh, we've uh, shown them different designs to their website and things like that. And the client always picked the ugly one. And I'm thinking, what? and I'm thinking, guys, why am I working with you? <laughs> but uh, that just showed that. Uh, but that just showed that myself, I was not all that advanced just yet. And it was a very powerful lesson for me is that there was an expectation on the part of their audience that it would have kind of a basic look and feel. The reason being is when they looked at websites for athletic booster clubs or what their schools gave them for the website or some of the experts in their field, some of the books, some of the training manuals that they would go by, and my clients were selling training manuals, DVD courses, things like that, they were expecting something pretty simple and pretty straightforward something that almost made you feel like you were in a high school locker room. So lo and behold, we actually tested a couple things and they were right. So I take it, I take it for what it is. And we have this other client who is a, um, he's a, I believe he's a coach in the area of the banking industry. He does a lot of things, but one of them is he's a, a very well-known public speaker in the niche of managing banks. I, I believe it is. Uh, I may be off by a point on my terminology and, uh, you know, he was getting his new website redesigned, and this was about the year, oh, what was it, 2000, it was 2007, I, I remember now, for various reasons known to me. And um, my, my, and the designer on our team had created three designs for this guy, uh, two that we thought that he would really love, and then this third one, which was just super ugly, that she just threw in. And she figured, well, you know, I did two, so I might as well do three. So he immediately latched onto the ugly one. 
And nine years later, although he probably should mobile optimize it, but nine years later, he's still using that website. In fact, uh, just the other day, I was reading one of his brand new blog posts. So it's so uh, and uh, if if he's doing prosperous and doing well for nine years with that design, then it was a beautiful design in the sense that it magic word works. Yes. Yeah. So we've already covered some of the basics that we were looking to get into. So we're going to dive a little bit from a little bit deeper than just the shallow end of the pool here in terms of our plan for our time together today. So, uh, you know, you touched on a couple things in terms of reaching the right audience and things like that. So, uh, you know, why do businesses struggle to get people to convert? Well, and I think you, you brought out a couple of these points, but I think the number one reason, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to people every day in pretty much every industry you can imagine. And I, I think the biggest challenge that especially uh, entrepreneurs or business owners or design, you know, anybody who's in the design space have is um, they think they know what is best. You know, you, you yeah. hit it, you hit it right on in saying, um, you know, and we as marketers or entrepreneurs, we always think we know what's best. We think what our competitor is doing is, is what must be working. We think that this best practice that we've been hearing about or what Amazon is doing, we, we've got to copy them. We always think that we have some, uh, something figured out because we use the Internet every day. And so we make all kinds of very dangerous assumptions uh, that often blind us to seeing, uh, to seeing alternative solutions, you know. So, um, so one of the things that, you know, that we will usually do when we start working with our clients, one of the very first things that we will do is we will tell them <laughs> um, we are going to challenge probably every, uh, every best practice or every idea that you've ever had about your website, um, every idea that you've ever had about your audience. We are probably going to challenge them, not to say that you're wrong, but to discover whether or not you're right because you've probably been assuming that you're right all this time. We want to get some data to back that up. And so it's, it's always a very interesting process. That first test that we run when we challenge a major assumption on the site, um, here's, here's one that, that we challenged for one of, our, one of our clients. So we have a client that's in the, uh, the medical software space, right? So it's a SaaS company uh, that, that produces software for doctors, you know, doctors and surgeons. Um, and so one of their assumptions is, well, our, our audience is a very savvy audience. They are intelligent, they are busy, um, and they, they, they want to know that we have all the right kind of information for them. And so they had all kinds of really tech-savvy lingo, really big words that doctors would understand. They had lots of content on their pages. So one of their pages that they were driving people to was like an ebook page, right? Just a, a normal squeeze page or a landing page. And they had all of this content listed out of all the stuff that was in this ebook. In fact, they listed out all the chapters of the ebook. There was like 12 right. chapters for this ebook. So they had them all listed out and they go, well, we want people to know there's a ton of value here. There's a ton of great quality content. That's what's really going to resonate with them. Well, we want, again, we wanted to challenge that assumption. Number one, that these doctors wanted to read a lot. Number two, that they cared how much content was in there. Um, and so we ran several different versions of this page where we literally just tested different amounts of content. And the version that ended up winning, in fact, 
this client said, I can guarantee that this won't win. And the one that actually did end up winning was the version that had the least amount of content possible. We literally took all of those 12 chapters. We, we removed all the 12 chapters. We put three bullet points in there that says, here are some things that you'll learn in this ebook. And we took the three. I don't know anything about the medical software space. I just read through their 12 chapters and pulled out the three that sounded interesting to me. So again, this is me just taking a stab in the dark and that version ended up converting, uh, I think, 40 or 50% better than the version they had before, just by challenging their assumption that their audience wanted all of that content. Now, of course, then, of course, we, we want to follow that up and say, okay, I just randomly selected the three bullet points that went there. Let's test and figure out what three bullet points should be there. Um, right. But it's, it's just very interesting that, you know, a lot of people will, will make these assumptions because our audience is X, they want Y, and that is not always the case. Yeah, you know, uh, and that's, and, you know, you bring up some very important, a couple of things that are very important. Uh, we have found through some of our testing uh, that sometimes shorter is, in fact, best. Uh, we've been getting some great results with some of our campaigns by sending what's known as the one-question email, where basically you send the email and you just ask one question, and then you say, either way, click here. And it takes them to the blog post or the sales page or the webinar registration or what have you. And we found that that's effective because it zeroes in on something that's very important to that end user. And we also yeah. use this as an opportunity to test subject lines, test topics, and things like that to give us a sense of what are real people really biting down on. And by giving it to them in very small pieces and letting them pick the piece that works for them, we can, and then measuring things, you know, those things like open rate click-throughs and things like that, we can get a sense of what it is that's really going to drive people to buy. Oh, and by the way, um, I told you about the guys who uh, who trained the uh, high school athletic coaches. While you were speaking, I uh, confess I multitasked a little bit, and I went and Googled their current <laughs> websites, and uh, their stuff is technologically very modern and aesthetically extremely plain, uh, but I still hear about these guys on the market, and they're they're crushing it all the way across the board. I mean, they're they're using smart themes. They have all the right design elements in place, but it's still that very, very simple look. So uh, they've, and these are guys who loved A-B testing. I mean, they were A-B testing every dag and thing back when I worked with them. I can't imagine it's gotten you know, less intense. So uh, these guys know what they're talking about. And they, and I know they have the intelligence that's leading them to smart decisions. I mean, yeah, they, they're using optimized press for their sales letters now and stuff like that, which of course we recommend, uh, but it's still that same basic look and feel because they are in tune with what their audience is looking for. So uh, aside from what we've already covered, what are some other things that influence website audience behavior? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a variety of things, and this is one of the areas where a lot of people get scared away from website testing. Uh, a lot of large companies go, there are so many things that we could test. Um, you know, we have no clue where to even begin. And then some companies, um, instead of even thinking about all the things you could test, some companies will just go, oh, well, here's the one thing I care about. You know, I care about whether or not that picture of me should be me sitting on my couch or me in the woods, you know, and it's like, well, how do you even know anyone cares about that picture at all? But um, <laughs> so what we've done and, you know, I mentioned I've, I've run probably at this point thousands of A-B tests on a variety of sites and I've boiled it down to make it simple, both for my employees here at Disruptive 
and for our clients. I boiled it, um, a, a website experience down to six things that we've found influence conversion rates the most. And so those six things are, I'm just going to run through these real quick and we can dive into each one of them has, you know, a ton that we could talk about, but the six right. things are the value proposition. So what are you offering? The call to action. So what are you telling people to do? Uh, the content. So what information are you offering? The, and then, and then the, so those are, those first three are what I call conversion motivators. There are things that you right. can do to create interest, to create motivation, to convert. The second three things are things that typically I call conversion resistance factors. They're things that will typically hurt your conversion rate. So the first thing is uh, distractions or diversions. And anything on your website could be a distraction. Pictures can be a distraction. Videos can be a distraction. Content can be a distraction. Anything on your site could be a distraction. So it's important to know whether or not something is distracting or helping. Um, Anxiety, you never, never, never want people to feel anxious on your website. You never want them to feel like uh, the time it's going to take to convert is, is, greater, is a greater cost than what they're getting from you. Um, you right. never want them to feel confused or, or afraid. Um, those are never good things. And then the final thing is you mentioned responsiveness earlier for one of your, for one of your uh, clients. And we take it a step beyond responsiveness because most companies will just ask, do we have a responsive site? Does it work on mobile? And we, right. we take it a step beyond that and ask, is the site customized for mobile? So do you know what your mobile users want versus your desktop users? So that's those very are important. the six areas. Go for it. That's very, that's very important. Yeah, and thank you for those six areas. That is fantastic. Um, everybody listening, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you can listen to this one again. Because uh, because um, he just gave you some serious gold there. Chris just hooked you up big time. Um, sometimes when clients would look at uh, designs for our launch campaigns and things like that, they would say, "But wait a minute, uh, doesn't all this stuff have to be above the fold? And and why is it all one column? And why are the fonts this size? Uh, this isn't this isn't how we were taught to do websites." I said, "Yeah, of course you were taught to do websites the other way back in 2011. But everybody's got a smartphone now." <laughs> So, uh, so that used to be when I explained it the long way. Now, the short way that I would explain it today, if I was in that situation, and we're not really in the website game anymore, so this doesn't come up too often, but when it does, or when I'm working with a client and I'm guiding them that they need to update their website and get their designer on board with modernizing their website to the current day, they'll, they'll come to the same conclusion. I'll say, pull out your smartphone, look up your website, and they'll say, oh, now I get it. Absolutely. And, and one of the big things here, this is one thing that is very fascinating for me, is most companies just think that if your site looks good on mobile, that that's good enough. The thing that is very fascinating to me is that mobile users, they behave completely differently on the web than desktop users. And when yeah. I say that, what I mean is um, people are in a totally different mindset when they're on their mobile device even if it's even if you're in the b2b space and someone is at work on their mobile device they are not behaving the same on their mobile device as they do on their desktop computer and so yeah. it's important to figure out what's different here so you know one of the biggest things that i will typically ask my clients is can people call you if you run any kind of service business or even if you 
are selling a product that people might want to call you for, that might be the call to action that you should have on your site instead of add to cart or instead of fill out my form. Um, we ran a test just a little while ago for a client of ours that sells vacation packages online. And they, um, you know, you could either check out on their website and just buy the vacation package online, or you can call them and someone, an operator on the phone will, uh, you know, can, can talk you through the process. Sure. So we tried pushing phone calls on, on the desktop site experience and we were able to, we were able to increase phone calls slightly. Um, but when we tested on mobile, what we actually did was we replaced their, their vacation search widget with a click to call button and call volume tripled and actual purchases doubled. So not only were we getting more people to call, which was an obvious, if you're replacing the search widget with a call feature, obviously you're going to get more phone calls. But not only that, they were getting dramatically more sales. And so it was a better experience for a mobile user to call than it was to check out online. Now, obviously we want the best of both worlds. So we want people, we want some people to check out if they don't want to call. And so that right. was obviously step two, but step one was figuring out what is the ideal call to action here? What should the call to action be? What should the primary call to action be? And then if people don't want to take that primary call to action, in this case, a phone call, then we can still have the online checkout experience if, if they're, you know, whatever. Some people don't like to talk on the phone. So, but again, going back to this whole mobile experience, it's really important to ask, do our mobile users want something that might be different than our desktop users. That could be less content. That could be a video. That could be no video. It's just you, you want to figure out what your mobile users really want. You know, it brings up an interesting point. A uh, client we have here, um, uh, we when we first brought them on board, they had a web designer on board and everything else. They had all the technological and human capabilities to do whatever they wanted to do with their website. And uh, when I moved in, I said, you know, you probably should uh, get this website on a different theme. This thing's breaking all the time. And plus, uh, this theme you're using, because I know how to go into WordPress and figure out whether the thing's any good or not. It's not really giving us the capabilities that we need to get you the website that you need so that this business can really take off. And one of our recommendations for the new site is in that little, in that little very, very super top navigation bar that goes above the header, Get your phone number in there. And they said, well, we don't yeah. want our phone number in there because uh, uh, we're only answering from nine to five. And I don't know if uh, people have the scripts and everything. It's like, put the phone number in. So uh, two reasons. The first reason was is because they were playing in a highly professional environment, uh, like a corporate type environment was really their niche. These are people that want to be able to say, hey, look, I'm a real company. Hi, mom. And having a toll-free right. phone number up there is a big deal. My website for my company has a toll-free number in the header, even though I almost never use the phone. Uh, but right. <laughs> uh, but let, me tell you, let me tell you where that phone number became valuable for that client. Uh, with our guidance, they started doing webinars. And uh, because of the nature of their audience, like when you and I think sign up for a webinar, what do we think? Let's go to the landing page, type in our name and email address, and get the link, and there we go. They were having people in corporate offices call them asking to be registered for the webinar. Hmm. So, again, audience behavior. Fascinating. You, I love it's that. Probably, it's, it's probably been, it's probably been a, a year or more since you've heard of the idea of somebody calling your office and saying, hey, can you put me in that webinar? 
but the nature of the way their audience behaved, you're talking about audience behavior, showed that displaying a phone number, and it didn't matter that there wasn't always somebody there to answer live. It's just the fact they could leave a voicemail and say, now, hi, my name is uh, Dave Fortunati of uh, ABC Company. We saw the email for your webinar, and we'd like to register three people. Uh, here are their names, and here are their email addresses. Well, son of a gun, you got three registrations. Yes, I mean, I mean, how, I mean, how hard is it to go to your own landing page and type in Dave at XYZ Company, uh, Martha at XYZ Company, and Stella at XYZ Company? Submit, 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 and now you have three more people, not only registered for your webinar, but now on your email list. Absolutely. And here's the thing that I love about that is you, you bring up a really great concept, which is there's, there's almost always an exception to the rule. So the rule might be, we're, we're doing webinars. People want a completely online experience. There's an exception here. You, you, you discovered an exception that is customized to that particular audience. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, us running a test and testing less content and it converting better. I've run for, for multiple different companies. I've run tests where having more content converts better, which right. actually, you know, when, when was to my shock when I see those kinds of results because Again, I, I kind of have it ingrained in my head. Oh, there's kind of this best practice. Usually less is more, those kinds of things. There's always an exception to the rule. So it's so critical to, again, not not come to the table with a bunch of assumptions. Just be willing to test and find out what your audience wants. Right. Well, you know, we've been talking about redesigning the website and things like that. So companies will often do major website redesigns when they gain a new religion about getting serious about their conversions and growth. Now, Chris, are you a proponent of this? And is there anything companies should think about before they go into site redesigns? Yeah, that's, that is a great question. This is a really hot topic. There are companies, in fact, we've got a, a huge multi-billion dollar uh, startup over here. I'm, I'm in uh, Utah that redesigns their site like once per quarter. I mean, they yeah. are religious about and fanatical about redesigning their site. Um, and... I understand why companies do it. There's typically two big reasons. Number one, you already mentioned it. Um, they, they want to get on board with, with best practices or companies will call it having like a modern website look and feel, right? They want to have, they want to look credible. They want to look up to date. Um, and then the other big reason is a lot of times companies will rebrand, you know, they'll rebrand, they'll have a new logo, they'll have a new color palette and they want to apply it throughout the site. So in both cases, whether it is you want, an, you want an updated, modernized look and feel or a rebrand, it is critical to, to test your way into the design. So I, I am a fan of redesigns if done right. So here is an example of a redesign that was done wrong <laughs> that All we right, were I love able this. to come in and, and help them uh, kind of reverse engineer to something that works. So we had a client that came to us that had spent $250,000 redesigning their site. And when I say redesigning, it was modernizing, right? So they basically just put a new template on top of the existing structure of the website. It, it functioned almost exactly the same. It just looked quote unquote better, right? And they did some other things. They, you know, they, they mobilized it so that it worked a lot better on mobile. They, uh, they did what I call an Instagram style homepage. So they sell a bunch of different types of products. And so they had one of these endless scrolling mobile pages. So on, on your mobile device, you can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and there's yep. more and more products. 
Um, and they love this. They're like, oh, yeah, it's in- Instagram. Like, people love scrolling. They love seeing more products, and we'll sell more stuff this way. So they spend 250 grand on this new design. Obviously, you don't spend that amount of money on a redesign unless you're expecting it to increase sales. They launch the new site, and nothing happens. The <laughs> site converts exactly the same as it did before. Which, you know, when you, you, you launch that, you get your hopes up, you see that, and you're like, oh, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. At least it didn't convert worse, which I have seen that. But nothing happened. And so then they come to us and they say, okay, Chris, like, what's going on here? We spent all of this money. Help us figure out why this site isn't converting better. And so we go in and we start, again, what, like I mentioned before, challenging some of their assumptions. So one of the first few tests we ran, I call it an existence test. It's a test where we go through and we just – test removing almost everything on the site. So we don't remove everything all at once. We take their Instagram style homepage and we say, let's remove a few sections of content here. Let's, re- let's, let's remove this row of products. Let's remove this row of products. So we tested like eight different versions of their homepage with differing amounts of products on there. And right. boom, we launched this, we, we launched this test, eight different versions of, the, of their homepage. Out of those eight versions where we literally were just removing products, Six of those versions increased revenue. Not only did it increase revenue, but within a week, we had generated $30,000 in additional revenue for this company just by removing stuff. And so one of the first things that we learned was not only were your assumptions incorrect, like people don't want an infinitely scrolling page, but actually by putting that many products on a page, you're actually hurting your conversion rates. You're distracting people because people have – FOMO, you know, they, they, their fear of missing out. They see a product that they like and they go, ooh, I want to buy that. But then they see something else below that and they go, ooh, but what if I want that more? And people just keep scrolling and they talk themselves out of buying something. And so, you know, here we go. Our first test, just removing stuff, increased conversion rates. Now we know which products should be on the homepage. So then we go, okay, now let's test what order those products should be in. Which one should we show first? Should we show your highest profit margin products? Should we show the most popular products? Should we show the highest reviewed and rated products? I mean, what should be the products we display first? And so bottom line is they had spent a ton of money on a new design without actually knowing what their audience wanted. And so if you're going to do a huge redesign, it's really important that you answer some of these fundamental questions first of, okay, if if I'm selling products on my site, what products should I show? How many products should I show? How should I order and sort my products on this site? And then once you know those things and you know what your audience cares about, you can build a new framework. You can build a new design around those best practices for your audience. But it's just, it's very important to go in with a data-driven mindset instead of saying, well, let's just overhaul the whole thing and then we'll figure out it. We'll, f- we'll figure it out later. You know, that's, that's very true. And um, i I'm thinking back a few years ago, we had a, a client prospect here along the ideas of things not to do. And uh, the homepage of their website uh, was basically just a bunch of buttons that said, buy now, hurry, sale, ends Thursday. And they were in the, and they were in the self-development space, which that's really often not a message that works well with people who uh, get on the couch and get in the lotus position and extend their arms and invite the money in. So first of all, they're <laughs> missing that. I mean, I, I'm, and I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm just saying to make a point. And, 
And you know, we, were, we were talking about uh, running campaigns and, uh, and a launch and things like that. And I said, look, this, this all sounds good to me. And I think you have the right idea about all this stuff. But uh, because uh, my client, uh, who's, and I didn't use these exact words, but I sent the message. Because you're a friend of my client who's given me cumulatively over $100,000 over the years, I'm going to give you like 20 minutes of my video consulting that I normally charge $500 for. I didn't use those exact words. But I conveyed that message and I showed them, you know, what we need to do and are there people to do to fix their website before anything that we could do for them would even work. So we sent that to them and then a week later it said, hey, uh, well, what about the what about the campaign? We're ready to get started with the stuff we want. And I said, did you see my video? I said, well, yeah, but we just want to get started. Well, what about the what about the stuff that we are needing for you to do in order for anything that we do to have any effect at all? It's like, well. We we know that we're doing it right. It's like okay, find somebody who agrees with you. <laughs> I mean, right. and then and then and then we all have one of these. And I don't want to spend much time on this, but uh, you know, we had a client uh, when I was in the second iteration of my business where we were in website conversion consulting uh, that uh, wanted to do some stuff, and so she was coming on to have us uh, fix her website so that it would convert better. And she gave us all this uh, web copy she'd written and stuff she wanted position and stuff like that. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, there's a, probably a couple things that we would adjust here to make sure. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not hiring you to make changes. I'm hiring you to implement. I don't want mm. one word change. I said, well, have you, okay, so can you show us the testing data you've done? You know, tell us about your audience and, and what you've done with the marketplace, any success you've had in this realm so far, because you've already done the work, you know, in fairness, I'm not going to have you go through it again. If you've already done your homework and, uh, and can persuade me that you've earned an A, you know, that's, that's fine. And she said, well, but I, but I, but I showed this to five of my friends and they all said it was a good idea. And I struggle not mm. to laugh because that's like the that's like the joke of website designers. I showed it to a couple of my friends and they thought it was cute. And, but yep. she was dead serious and she went further and she said that the universe had sent her energy through a lightning beam into her brain that told her these were the words that need to be written. I said, wow. okay, uh, <laughs> I'm a big believer in intuition myself, and I'm not a big believer in coincidence. Uh, so I understand where she was coming from with the power of forces beyond what we see in our conscious mind. I'm a big believer in meditation. Uh, I've, I've dabbled in uh, magic and remote influence and things like that. So I knew what she was saying. But at the same time, the people who are successful in the realms of meditation and magic and remote influence are still you know, having a clue about what their audience wants before they try and sell it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, yeah, like you mentioned, there is, because I've talked to a lot of very similar people who, you know, there, there is a huge element of intuition when it comes to running a business. And when you pair that with data, that is really where the magic happens. That's where, that is where businesses really are able to find success is when you are able to pair what you feel and what you know with with the actual hard numbers that prove that this is what your audience wants. And so it's not just your own opinion or your friend's opinions. It is proven fact. Yes. Yes. Very true. So uh, now 
we talked we talked a lot about niches and understanding the person's unique audience. And the question that comes to me pretty frequently when we get into this topic is: Are there any best practices that every business can implement when it comes to increasing website conversions and the use of psychological factors? Yeah, you bet. So there's a couple of things that I will typically uh, talk when I'm speaking at conferences and that kind of things. There, this question comes up a lot, and this is something that you know people who attend conferences want. Uh, I, I don't call these silver bullets because there's not one way to do this, but there are some best practices that you can um, try on your website. So one of those is so psychologically, when people go to a website. Um, there, there's, there's been all kinds of studies that have been done on how, how long of an attention span people have online. Um, and for a new website that people have not been to before, the average attention span is two to three seconds. So that doesn't mean right. they're only going to spend two to three seconds on your site. That means they will give a site, a new site, two to three seconds, and then figure out if they feel like it's worth staying for longer. Aha. And so it is, it's critical that in that two to three seconds, you are hooking them enough to stay and dive in more and, and learn more. So that means that in two to three seconds, they can't read all of your content, right? So your content is not going to do the trick for you. Um, they, they can't, uh, you know, scroll all the way down your page and get all of the context about your product. And so it is really critical. You mentioned earlier the above the fold experience. You don't need to put everything in the above the fold experience, but there are a couple of critical things that I have found if you have in the above the fold section uh, make you much, much more likely to succeed. And so that is having your call to action above the fold and using contrasting colors to your advantage. So there's a lot of color theory out there. There's all kinds of psychology articles that are written about like what's the best conversion color and what do colors mean on the web. And what I've typically found, I, I can debunk probably any color best practice out there. Um, right. But what, what, I, what I call the, the best practice for color is use a contrasting color. So if your site largely uses blue, which almost every website does, because That's designers right. love blue for some reason, yeah. <laughs> um, if, if your website is blue, use something that is that complete opposite end of the color spectrum. So use something like red or orange. That's really going to stand out and it's going to draw the eye. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean that people are going to click on your call to action above the fold. They might need to scroll down and read more. But what happens psychologically when people can see the call to action, it relieves anxiety. Because people go, oh, okay, I know what to do when I'm ready. I know what it is I'm supposed to do. And that gives people a purpose. When I'm ready, I will click that button to download the white paper. When I'm ready, I will click that button to add the product to my cart. When I'm ready, you can fill in the blank with whatever your call to action is. But if you at least have that call to action above the fold and use a contrasting color so that it draws the eye in those two to three seconds so that people can immediately identify it, it gives them an anchor point, and then they can frame the rest of their experience around that. So that is, I, I have tested that principle. Now again, how you how you implement that principle? There's a ton of ways. Where exactly do you put it above the fold? What exact color should it be? What should that button say? You know, I can't tell you what what you should say and where it should be and what exact color it should be. But if you will put it above the fold, and if you will use contrasting colors. I have never seen a test that has failed yet using 
those types of principles. So that is just one of many um, principles that that if, if you implement it correctly on your site, will always work. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to think about. Uh, you know, people have always asked me, what do I think are the favorite colors? And my answer is um, green in my bank account. That's my favorite color, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. uh, but that but that being said, uh, you know, there are certain markets that demand different colors. Like if your brand is woman centric, for instance, you might not want to use blue uh, or, or, or certain shades of blue because many tests have shown that if you have a woman centered market or you're, you're reaching out to women specifically, you might want to use colors like purple and you see a lot of purple, you see a lot of green uh, and a couple other colors like that. But even within, yeah, the, well, whatever realm you're in, you know, the purple and the green uh, or purple and orange might be another example, will contrast with each other and will create that same sense of, as you say, relief that, okay, uh, I can see there's this purple background here, uh, this big hero image with, uh, with the, the woman next to it. And I know that uh, in order to get started by downloading her special report, that I'm going to want to press this orange button. But let me scroll down a little bit and just see what she has to say, if this is something that I want to dive into. But the good news is I know where that button is, so as soon as I figure it out, I can go up there and click it. Absolutely. Well, and so, again, you know, you bring up some, some very interesting color theory of men like these colors, women like these colors. And I have seen some very interesting uh, tests that, that we've run here at Disruptive that even debunk some of those. You know, we have a client that sells uh, Bluetooth NFL speakers. Um, wow. You know, this is, this is like 95% of their traffic is male. And we ran a call to action color test. And believe it or not, pink turned out to be the, the, the call to action color that converted the best by far. And that was fascinating to me because I, when I saw that, I almost didn't even want to run that version because I thought there's no way that these men are going to respond well to this pink color. But again, in the context of their website with their color palette that they had on the site, pink stood out the most, drew the most attention, and it didn't feel weird. And so, right. you know, again, it's, it's just very important to try these different approaches out and figure out what your audience is going to respond best to. You know, so another... Another thing that, you know, when you're talking psychology, um, you know, I was talking earlier about one of, one of the big six factors being anxiety. And right. there's all kinds of things that can cause anxiety. And so one of the first things, when people think about website anxiety, one of the first things that people think about is security. Like, is your information secure? And so a lot of, <laughs> what a lot of companies will do is they'll go, okay, okay, so we need some secure logos on our site. And they'll get a bunch of different secure logos. I mean, they'll get their, their site, you know, Norton secured or, uh -huh. you know, whatever, whatever their, their trust logo uh, go-to choice is. And then they'll put it all over their site. Well, one of the very interesting things, going back to the psychology element, is people want to feel secure, but they don't want to have it brought to their attention that their information might not be secure. And so uh, sometimes yeah. Good. by Good. – by putting that trust logo everywhere on the site, you keep raising awareness to the fact that, that their information needs to be secured, which can actually create anxiety for people. And so we've run tests. We're actually removing some of those trust logos can increase conversion rates because, again, we are 
we're removing something that might be raising awareness to that anxiety factor. So it, again, it's just, it's very interesting. It, it may be best practice to have some kind of security information on your site, but you want to make sure you do it the right way. You want to make sure that you're not too overt and in your face with the security information because that can create the very anxiety you're trying to relieve. Yeah, because see, when I think of Norton, um, I'm just old enough to think of Norton. Uh, somebody says that I think of a friendly sanitation engineer who lives upstairs. But in the <laughs> Internet world, uh, when most people think Norton, they think of why have I needed Norton in the past? Yes. So I don't want Absolutely. to go too far into the Norton. And then when some people think of McAfee, they think of, oh, this is that thing that wrecked my registry. Great. I'd love to visit this website. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so you have to be conscious of that. And you know, another thing, and I don't want to go down this road because we're, uh, we're a politically agnostic show here, but uh, you know, during our last presidential campaign, I followed all the candidates because I was looking, because this was a very unique election in terms of the use of social media, new media, and pretty much everybody across the board in this round finally getting it in terms of how to reach your core audience and how to and how to really stand out and niche. That, I mean, you know, if you want to look at some positives, those things came out. And I noticed that depending on whether it was a more conservative candidate or a more liberal candidate or a more centrist or whatever they were, that it seemed like within those groups, I mean, they're pretty much all using red, white, and blue because, you know, America and all that. But I noticed that the shades of blue and red were different depending on where they mm. were on the ideological spectrum. And then I dug a little bit deeper. And I started looking not just at the presidential candidates, but I started looking at Senate candidates and even some local candidates who are very savvy with the web stuff, which you do occasionally find. And I noticed that those trends seem to uh, also make sense vertically, where um, there seemed to be this one set of colors and one set of fonts. It was all red, white, and blue, but there were different shades and different fonts. Absolutely. That's fascinating. I, I love that kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, the, the presidential election is, I, I think it's probably the, the climax of A-B testing in terms yeah. of there are so many people that are interested in, uh, in the issues being debated and in the different candidates. There's so much traffic. I actually talked to one of the, uh, one of the heads of, of an A-B testing campaign for the previous presidential election before, right. before, the, before this last election with Trump. Um, yeah. And they ran, they ran almost 500 tests in that short campaign uh, and generated, I think, several billion dollars in campaign donations in, in just a few spans of months. And yeah. it's fascinating, the kinds of things that they were testing. You, you mentioned colors. You know, in this, in this particular I – won't, I won't mention the candidate, but for this particular campaign, uh, they were testing things like, should we have our candidate – wearing a suit or a flannel shirt or a yeah. t-shirt, you know, and those kinds of things, it matters totally because it, it, you know, again, the audience, depending on the audience, they may want a more professional looking president or they may want a more down to earth looking president. Right. And so those kinds of things are a big, big deal. Seems like such a small, you know, minor, minor change, huge impact. Oh, that, oh, that's very big is how the candidate is dressed. This is something that I've actually studied. I mean, just to briefly mention names, I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at President Trump, I mean, he always wore a suit and tie, often with the Red Make America Great Again hat. Sometimes 
he had his he had his collar open by one button and the tie wasn't there. But there was always that message of, uh, you know, you fly with me, you fly first class. We wear we wear tailored suits. We're making America great again. We stand for excellence. We stand for the top rung. I mean, that's the message that he was trying to send. We're going to raise our country up was the theme of his campaign. It doesn't matter whether our listeners believe that to be true or not true. That's the message he was putting out there. So, but you saw other candidates. I'm going to also bring up, for example, for example, one of his primary competitors, John Kasich, who was frequently seen in flannel shirts, because his message was, "I'm a guy just like you. I go to town halls. I go by the factories and shake hands at the gate and things like that. I'm not up there on a 747. I'm down here with the people." So, I mean, not no message was better than the other. It's just uh, using the clothes was indicating the message and the vibe they wanted to send. Well, here's so very, very interesting along that same topic. You look at the previous presidential election with Obama versus Mitt Romney, yeah. and it was almost flip-flopped. Obama was wearing down-to-earth. You know, he would, he would very frequently have, you know, he'd have a button-up shirt, but he'd have his sleeves rolled up, and he'd have, you know, his top couple buttons undone. And Mitt Romney was always very dressed up, and it was the complete opposite result. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very, very interesting. There are no best practices. It is totally dependent on the type of audience you're trying to reach, the time, you know, the, the, the time of season that you're marketing to your audience in. Um, and, you know, and just over over time, your audience demographics and their preferences are going to change. And so it's just it's super important to test those kinds of things. And if you don't know the answer, uh, do a rally wearing a suit and do a rally wearing a flannel shirt and see what happens. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, I mean, even if you don't know the exact test to, to perform, that's a pretty straightforward one. You can start there, and then you can start playing with colors and and what color flannel or what color tie, and go from there. But uh, it's just a matter of, in the no matter what it is, whether it's uh, whether it's DVDs or or political campaigns or whether it's uh, selling executive coaching or whatever it is. You may think you know the answers, but there really is only one way to know, and that is to test. So uh, yes. believe it or not, believe it or not, we have six minutes left here. I want to squeeze in one more question real quick, and then I want to uh, give you a minute just at the end because I know you have something you want to share with us. So we are we talking about – this will be a perfect segue. Um, and maybe we've already partially answered the question, but I have a feeling you have more. If a company has never tried A-B testing before, which is where you just test two different web pages against each other, you know, where should they get started? Yeah, that is a great question. And again, like I mentioned, this is probably the area where most companies get hung up. They'll take some of the initial steps and then they get lost or in the weeds or they just don't make it a priority. So my, my biggest recommendation is to get a test up and running as quickly as possible. Because if you can start to see results, like I did when I very first started A-B testing, if you can start to see those results, it gets exciting to you, and you start to understand the value. And so don't start with something huge. That's one of the biggest temptations that businesses have is to try to test something gigantic. So I usually recommend get signed up for a testing tool. Google, Google actually has a free testing tool you can use, Google Optimize. Um, it's, it's very limited functionality, but... It's a very easy and free place to start. Um, or you can use some of my other go-to starter A-B testing tools are VWO, Visual Website Optimizer, or Optimizely. They're, those are less pricey options than some of the uh, bigger competitors. Um, but get signed up for a testing tool and run a very simple test. 
So this could be uh, a content test, like I mentioned earlier. Take a page, take a section of content that you have and test a shorter version of that content. You can literally set that test up in five minutes. These testing tools are very, very easy. Google Optimize, it will load up your existing site. You just click on the section of content you wanna edit and you, and you edit it. And then it creates the variation for you. You can launch your test and you can literally have a test up and running in a half an hour. So okay. create a test like okay. that or create a headline test where you just yeah. change your headline to something completely different and then let it run and see how your, your customers respond to your test version. I think you answered my follow-up question because sometimes when we see people do testing, they want to do all kinds of elaborate multivariate testing, uh, which is where you test several different changes at once. Uh, but I personally have found, and just tell me your thoughts on this, that if you really want to do a test, find one important thing and test that one important thing. Get the answer, move on to the next thing, and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And there, and there is a place, there is a time and a place for more sophisticated tests like multivariate tests, but I almost never start, even with very large clients that we work with that get millions and millions of visitors um, to their site every month, I never start with a super sophisticated test like that because you want to start learning some of the smaller things about the audience before you approach a big sophisticated test like that. So I always recommend starting with something simple and basic and building on it. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, Chris Daly, we're actually right near the top of the hour, and we do have about two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you because you told me in the green room you have something for us, and we love snacks. <laughs> you bet. So we've actually put together a free A-B testing starter guide for your audience. Um, this has all kinds of things. It has you know, the six areas that I mentioned earlier. It has some of the best starting tests that we recommend to our clients. It has um, all of the tools that you should think about and a lot of other stuff that we didn't have time to cover today. So if people want to download that guide, they can go to disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide and you can download that for free. There's a little box if you are interested in talking to us. You can check a box that says I'm interested in talking with disruptive advertising. If you don't want to talk to us, you just want the guide, you can absolutely do that and just don't check the box and we won't pester you. I love that because uh, some, and again, we're talking about making, you know, taking away the fear that people have. One of the conversion elements you covered earlier is some people may say, well, if I hopped into this special report, they might start blowing up my phone. So you actually give them the option to say, you know what? I'm not ready for the phone calls yet. Let's just get the information. Let me make a decision if I want to go further. And then there's other ways exactly. you can follow up based on that to sort of ease them in, which, uh, you know, for example, once you're on the list, you can invite them to a webinar. Uh, maybe you can take them down an ascension sequence where it leads to, hey, let's get on the phone. But for a lot of people coming to a website for the first time, their thought may not be, you know what, I'm not ready to speak with Chris Daly yet. I mean, I know that uh, this is somebody who can, is very qualified to help me um, in terms of psychological factors and website conversions, but can I just see what he has to say first before he asks me to get on the phone? I think that's great. And then there may be some people that say, you know what? I've been listening to this show for an hour. I know what's going on here. Give me that AB report. Thank you very much. And yes, let's get on the phone. So it gives people that right. option. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. All right. So Chris Daly, thank you very much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Adam, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was my pleasure. I was glad to be here.
For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.